Well, um, today, as I mentioned before, is Thanksgiving Sunday, and uh, it's a bit different to what we might have expected, but um, it is a time of year where we often uh, take some time to stop and pause and consider uh, the many things in our lives that God has given us for which we can be thankful. Um, But I think that as we do that, I mean, if we were to make a list of all of those things for which we are grateful to God, uh, not many of us would probably list things that embarrass us or bring shame or humiliation. Those kind of things are not generally what we think of as reasons to be thankful. I was trying to think of some embarrassing moments from my life to share with you. Uh, One that I remembered this week, uh, we had our men's curry night this Thursday, which was a great night together. And I was remembering how I went on a date once with a girl who I was trying to impress. And um, to do that, I ordered a very hot green curry. And um, I probably wasn't aware of this at the time, but I'm not great at hot food. And uh, it led, really, to a night of embarrassment. Um, I was in pain as I was trying to eat the thing. Um, I was trying to play cool, but, you know, there was tears coming down my face. You know, it was embarrassing. And I didn't go home thankful that night that I had publicly embarrassed myself like that. Uh, Not many of us would give thanks for things that have humiliated or shamed us. But today I think we see this remarkable example of the apostles um, who, as it said right at the end of that reading, uh, it said that they rejoiced. Uh, They rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Now how could they rejoice at suffering disgrace? How could they be grateful at being shamed? Well, that's what we're going to think about today as we uh, keep working our way through the book of Acts. Um, And if you've uh, been with us uh, so far in this series in Acts, um, it's it's all about, isn't it, what Jesus uh, continues to do after he was raised from the dead uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his church. And uh, if you have been with us uh, week by week, then you might notice uh, there's some similar ideas um, in our passage today to what we saw back in chapter 4. Uh, It's a bit of a repeated pattern, really, because in chapter 4, we were told of how after Peter and John had uh, healed that um, that beggar in the temple courts, um, well, that caused a real problem with the religious authorities um, who arrested them, um, who didn't really investigate to see if what the apostles was doing was good or true. Um, Rather, they just wanted that whole Jesus movement squashed, and so they warned Peter and John then not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And that brings us to today's passage, which really follows a very similar series of events. Again, uh, the apostles have been healing people. That's where we ended last week. That results in what we read today as the apostles are arrested, and again, they are warned to, to stay silent about Jesus. So here's um, three headings as we work our way through Acts today. We'll see how the opposition heats up. Uh, We'll see then in response how the apostles step up. And I think this uh, gives us a few encouragements for us to keep it up, to keep speaking about Jesus today. So first of all, uh, why is it that the opposition heats up? Well, it is in response to where we ended last week. The uh, apostles had been warned already by the religious leaders uh, to stay silent about Jesus. Um, But what did they do? Uh, I mean, did they keep a low profile? Uh, Did they maybe choose a different preaching location? Um, Maybe agree to tone it down a bit about Jesus? 
Well, no, none of those things. Uh, rather, they kept doing the very same things that got them arrested in the first place. So uh, we notice here that they even go back to the very scene of the crime, uh, to Solomon's portico, uh, in the site, of that, the site of that first controversy. Uh, this is where they healed the lame man. It was a part of the temple that was very busy, uh, right in view of the religious leaders who had warned them not to speak or act anymore in the name of Jesus. But then there, there they are at it again, uh, performing signs and wonders, speaking about Jesus. And as we finished last week, we saw more and more men and women are believing in the Lord as they put their trust in Jesus. So what impact does that have on the religious leaders? Well, uh, we start today in um, verse 17. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now, one thing to notice there, it says that they arrested the apostles, uh, which I take it means not just uh, Peter and John this time, but all 12 of the apostles. And so this is showing us how the opposition is starting to heat up. Now, what's their crime? Uh, Well, it's not murder. Um, It's not tax avoidance or something like that. Rather, what they've been doing is healing people. And their popularity has made these religious leaders jealous. Of course, the real problem, I mean, the real issue is that they've been doing these things in the name of Jesus. Uh, That's the real reason for the opposition. The religious leaders have already said that they want them to stay silent uh, about Jesus, but they have refused to do that. Peter and John earlier replied, which is right, uh, to listen to you or to listen to God? They're going to listen to God which means they're going to keep speaking about Jesus. So this um, scene today really is take two with the heat turned up a little. Uh, As now for a second time the religious elite try to take control of the situation in their attempt to keep this whole Jesus thing under wraps. And we're told here that it's the ruling council of the Jews who arrest them, uh, which at this time the majority belong to the party of the Sadducees. Uh, And if you want to know something about what they believed, well, I mean, the joke goes that a clue uh, about them is that they have the word sad at the front of their name um, because they really they only believed in the here and now, um, quite a modern view, we might think, really. Uh, They didn't believe that there was any life after death. Uh, They didn't believe in angels uh, or the resurrection um, or that God's kingdom was uh, kind of breaking into the world now. And the last thing that they wanted was people upsetting the status quo. Um, They had authority in their own kind of way under the Romans and they wanted to keep things just the way they were. And now here are these Christians stirring things up. And, And frankly, these Christians are just making them look bad. I mean, they thought that they dealt with Jesus. They had him put to death. But now here are these followers of Jesus saying that he's back and he's healing people. I mean, none of that looks good for the Sadducees. Uh, So what do they do? Well, you know, they don't engage with the message or the preaching. They don't really stop to consider whether Jesus really was risen from the dead. Instead, they say, no, we can't have that. Uh, We can't have thousands of people getting on board with this Jesus thing that we decided was a fake. Um, So things here step up a notch. They arrest the apostles. They put them in jail. Uh, It says that they do so publicly. 
they act in some public way that demonstrates really that they're the ones. You know, they're the ones who are in charge of what's going on here. But I guess ironically, if they acted publicly, the next thing we see is that an angel of the Lord acted secretly to rescue the apostles and send them back out on mission. So verse 19, it says, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So that's what the apostles do. They don't go home for a shower to freshen up or anything like that. Straight away at daybreak, they're back at the temple courts and again they're teaching people about Jesus. And doesn't that just, that little bit there gives us, give us a glimpse, I think, about who it is that is really in control? I mean, if you look there from the second half of verse 21, it talks about the officials, the high priest and his associates and all of the others there. Luke gives us all of their full titles to show us just how important they all are. You know, they, they now send to the prison to get the prisoners back, but, well, there's a bit of a problem, isn't there? Because when they arrive at the prison, well, the prisoners are not there. And the messenger comes back and he reports, he says, they're not there. Well, what do you mean they're not there? We put them in prison. That's how prison works, isn't it? Where are they? Well, these very, very important, these very, very powerful people who, of course, are completely in control of the temple and the community... Well, we see here that they spend some time scratching their heads. And then in verse 25, someone comes in and informs them and says, those people you put in prison, well, they're back in the temple and they're preaching again, teaching again in the name of Jesus. Well, now that they know where the prisoners are, uh, the captain of the temple guard and his officers, they go to get them. Uh, And when they're brought before the council, notice here that the Sadducees don't really stop and ask the apostles... Um, well, how it is that they managed to get out of jail, which is good because they don't believe in angels, so that might have you know, caused some real issues. Um, but also we notice here that as they bring them back, well, the religious leaders aren't really even in control of that. I mean, it says that they couldn't bring them back by force because there would have been a riot. And so we notice here that the apostles, uh, what they do at this point is that they return willingly They willingly come back and submit themselves to answer before this council. And the way that the apostles here relate to the authorities that have been placed over them, I think, is a helpful model. Because we see how they do recognise and submit themselves to the authority of this council. But they also recognise that there is a limit to that authority that these earthly rulers have. See, this council doesn't have the authority to stop them speaking about Jesus. But they do respect them as earthly leaders. They do submit to their authority. They'll even, as we'll see at the end, submit to suffering the consequences of disobeying that authority. Now, they act much like Jesus did. You know, Jesus didn't try to violently overthrow the authorities who arrested him. And so likewise, his followers choose not to use force even against a corrupt and pathetic government like this one. And so I think for us as well as believers, you know, we are called to respect and obey the authorities that God has put over us, whoever they are. We are to give them their due respect. And really that's what we're doing today, isn't it? I mean, we've made a whole bunch of changes because we uh, respect the authorities that God has put over us. We do pray that they are just temporary restrictions 
uh, that don't uh, hinder the way that we worship for too long. At the same time, of course, we cannot deny the fundamental calling as God's people to declare the name of Jesus and to make known the good news of the one who has given us new life. And so if that opportunity is denied or thwarted by some authority, well then, of course, a clash of loyalties arises. And like we'll see in the coming chapters of Acts, also also in some parts of our world today, I mean, imprisonment and death are sometimes the consequences for those who refuse to remain silent about God and the gospel. And so we do see that here, don't we, that the, for the apostles, well, the opposition is, is heating up. But as they come before the council, well, here's the encouragement for us. In response, we see how the apostles step up. So keep reading. Um, and as we do, we see that the high priest has some more questions uh, they're not really Christians. There are more statements. Uh, verse 28. Uh, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You guys are making us look bad, preaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and the others, they, they won't be intimidated, will they? Uh, See what Peter says again in verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And so what we see here, I think, is this kind of firm but respectful, unrepentant disobedience. And Peter then takes that as an opportunity to speak about Jesus to those interrogating him, to give maybe a, a quick reminder of the message in case they missed it. The the same message that's got them in trouble, um, the same message they've been teaching all along. So we see that in verse 30. He says, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What's the message? Well, you killed Jesus, but God had a different plan and raised him from the dead. So now is the time to revise what you think about Jesus. Now is the time to repent while you still can. Change your mind, change your mind about who Jesus is. And for these leaders of Israel, this this should not be something new for them because, as Peter says, what has happened in Jesus is just the culmination of what God had been doing throughout the centuries. This is the the plan of the God of our ancestors. Now, as we've come to expect in the book of Acts, this didn't go down very well. Uh, Verse 33 says, When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Just a little interesting fact, the word um, used there for furious, it's the same word that means to saw somebody in two. (laughs) See, these guys, they're really angry now. Peter has not smoothed things over. Uh, He's made them more determined to get rid of them. And let's remember, you know, this is not an idle threat. These people are serious. It's these people who will go on to kill Stephen in uh, just a few days' time. 
But right at this moment, something interesting happens. We're told that a Pharisee called Gamaliel, uh, he stands up to speak. Now, um, historically, Gamaliel is a bit of a big deal. Uh, We read about him in historical sources outside of the Bible as well. Um, He's a well-known, well-respected teacher and member of this council. Um, You might know as well that the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, before he became Paul, when he was still the Pharisee Saul, uh, his teacher was this Gamaliel. And that was kind of a big deal. That was, you know, something you could put on your resume and say, that's who I trained under. Well, here we see that Gamaliel, he stands up and he gives his opinion. Uh, He sends the prisoners out and this is what he says. Really, if you jump to verse 38, this is kind of the crux of his argument. He says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now to back up what Gamaliel says, he uh, refers to two different figures from recent history. He mentions in verse 36, Thutis, and then uh, in the next verse, Judas, the Galilean. And both of those two guys from history, they both led short-term armed rebellions against the Romans, and then they died. And their, and their movement came to nothing. Jesus of Nazareth, he was not the only person who claimed to be the Messiah and who thought um, he was going to liberate Israel. In fact, around this time of history, there were quite a few young Israeli men who thought that they were going to be the one to liberate Israel. Uh, there's these two that Gamaliel mentions here. Uh, later, there's another uh, guy called Thutis. Later than that, there's a guy called Bar Kokhba. Uh, these are all guys who thought that they were going to be the one to save Israel. But a funny thing is that, well, none of their names do we really remember. And why is that? Well, because they died and the movement that they started came to nothing. Uh, the movements they began were, were quickly squashed and then that was the end of it. And so Gamaliel's point here is pretty good, isn't it? You know, this will come to nothing, just like all the others, so leave them alone, give it a bit of time and it'll probably just disappear. But weirdly, of course, Jesus is different. Now Jesus, he stands out from amongst all of these other figures of this period of history Uh, because, well, he was killed, but then the Jesus movement became huge. Now, that was backwards, wasn't it? And let me say that this is something that, you know, if you're kind of here, maybe if you're on the fence about Jesus, maybe just kind of investigating this stuff, uh, wondering if it really is true, well, this is something that we need to account for historically. How do we make sense of the fact that the followers of Jesus, I mean, people like Peter, who had disowned him, uh, you know, who were disillusioned, when when Jesus was arrested, they thought that was the end. They all scattered. But then just a few days after his death, well, they start speaking about how Jesus is alive again. And suddenly they're courageous and they're willing to go to their graves for this Jesus. I mean, how do we explain that? that transformation of character and conviction of people like Peter and John and the apostles, what is it that happened to them? 
And I've probably said this at Easter time before, but uh, N.T. Wright, in his very scholarly work considering the claims of the resurrection of Jesus, he says that the, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus is not only the best explanation, but the necessary explanation for the subsequent development of the Christian church, which at its very centre had the proclamation of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, you may may not agree with that, but let me say that that is very serious evidence that needs to be engaged with. Something, by the way, that the Sanhedrin and Gamaliel here just do not do. They don't consider the claim that Jesus would be the Christ. Uh, They don't take the time to weigh up the evidence. No, Gamaliel, instead, he persuades them. He just says, well, let's just wait and see. So what happens? Well, with a sound flogging, they then let the apostles go. Now, we should notice this flogging here is no, no light punishment. Um, this is the 39 lashes, um, two on the back for every one on the front. And this would leave you, well, in some, maybe many cases, dead. It's a major horrific punishment. So how did the apostles react to that treatment, to that public humiliation and shaming? Well, look there again in verse 41. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this example of the apostles? Well, first, I think, uh, consider here the boldness of the apostles. I mean, this is a big challenge for me. uh, Because we see here, don't we, how they... I mean, they just keep going for it. They just keep speaking about Jesus when it would have been so much easier, so much more comfortable to stay quiet. Now, I read this and and I wish for their boldness because I know that, well, I don't need to be dragged before the Jewish religious elite to keep me quiet about Jesus. You know, I just need a barista in a coffee shop to give me an odd stare when I pull out my Bible. You know, or a dad at the school pickup to ask what do I do on the weekends or you know, a family member to ask my opinion about some controversial thing in the news. And I can so quickly veer the question away to things that will not cause offence. I think we can so quickly self-censor. When at the same time we know that the person in front of us needs to hear about this new life that they can have in Jesus... You know, I long for their boldness. Like in chapter 4, you know, we heard there, Peter and the others, they said, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Now, I think if we want to be bold like them, the key is you know, not just doing training courses, so that's good. It's not here that they're naturally more just sort of extroverted or out there than others. And it's the same Peter, remember, who disowned Jesus. But the key here is 
that they know what it is that they have seen and heard. They are convicted by the reality of the, the truth and the goodness of the message of Jesus. They love him. They love the good news about him. And so they are convicted of the importance of making that good news known. So I think we can learn from their boldness. I think we can also learn from their attitude here, which also is remarkable. You know, as they face opposition, this physical beating, this public shaming, how do they respond? Well, not with hatred. You know, they don't plan their retribution or political comeback. Rather, they're full of respect for the rulers and their authority. And even as they experience that opposition, well, they're not discouraged, they're not fearful, they're not resentful. They don't wallow in self-pity or play the victim card. Rather, what do they do? They rejoice. They rejoice that they've been counted worthy, that they get to be dishonoured in that way. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? How could they rejoice when their backs were bleeding from that beating? Well, it's because their greatest joy was to be counted as disciples of Jesus Christ to even suffer for the one who had suffered so much for them. So friends, let us learn uh, from their example today. Let's not be silent about what we have heard and believed. Let's not let fear of being shamed or embarrassed make us silent. But rather, would you pray with me for boldness, that we would take those opportunities to speak because we, we love our friends, we love our family, we love our city. We want them to know all about this new life in Jesus. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Father God, we do have so much to give you thanks for. And Lord, today we thank you for making known to us again the wonderful good news of Jesus who came to save us, who came so that we might have new life in him. And so as we live as Jesus followers, Lord, may we rejoice in that. May that be our greatest joy. And we pray that through us that you would be pleased to see others come to share in that joy through our words and our witness. We ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen.